This is a Cherish podcast, and I'm your host, Michael Boudreau. I'll be taking you for an inside look behind the glamorous facade of the interior design industry. At a time when every aspect of the business, from sourcing to trends to marketing to dealing with clients, is undergoing rapid change. For decades, the term to the trade meant high style, exclusivity, and limited availability. It connoted a rarefied world curated by designers, with even the most discerning and wealthy clients denied access to the very best products without a designer guide. It was enticing, but also confusing to outsiders, with custom orders, long lead times, and the mysteries of net versus list pricing. Design centers could seem to the public like fortresses protecting a very particular old-school way of doing business. What was behind the curtain? But in the face of the internet, with so much information about design and products available at everyone's fingertips, and with social media broadening the appeal of design every day, what does to the trade mean at this moment? Is its exclusivity still meaningful? And does it help or hinder the process of creating great design? I have with us today three people who know the ins and outs of to the trade from every angle. First is David Sutherland, the founder of the preeminent outdoor furniture rug and fabrics company, Sutherland Furniture and Perennials Fabrics. After opening his first showroom in Houston in 1977, he launched Sutherland Furniture in 1991, working with John Hutton and focusing on furnishings and accessories for outdoor spaces. He then branched out into fabrics in 1997 with Perennials, working with his beautiful and talented wife, Anne, who serves as CEO. The companies are now represented at more than 40 to-the-trade showrooms around the globe, though David has experimented with direct-to-consumer sales as well. Hello, David. Hi, Michael. Glad to be here. Thank you. Thank you. I'm also pleased to welcome Katie Miner, the general manager of ADAC, located in the prestigious Buckhead community of Atlanta, which she joined in 2012. Created in 1961 by visionary architect and developer John Portman, ADAC was acquired in 2018 by International Market Centers, the world's largest operator of showroom space for the furnishings, home decor, and gift industries. Today, ADAC and ADAC West encompasses more than 550,000 square feet of luxury furnishings for residential, hospitality, and contract projects, and is one of the most active design centers in the country. Welcome, Katie. Hi, Michael. Thank you for having me. So glad you're here. I'm also delighted to have with us Los Angeles designer Joe Lucas. Joe started his firm Lucas Studio with his then-business partner Paris Chilcote in 2005 after they worked together for Michael S. Smith. The film quickly became known for its warm, relaxed, and high-style rooms on both coasts. In 2008, they opened Harbinger, a multi-line design showroom on La Cienega Boulevard. Joe became sole owner of both companies in 2015. Harbinger now represents more than 50 lines of fabric, furnishing, and lighting, including Meredith Studio, Katie Ritter, Amanda Nisbet, Hector Finch, Idarika Gazzoni, as well as his own Harbinger collection of furniture. Joe's an active force in the La Cienica Design Quarter and is a champion of the Legends of La Cienica Design Days each spring. Hello, Joe. Hi there. So, David, I want to start with you because you are represented, your Sutherland and Perennials have, as I said, represented 40 showrooms. Why do you think it's important for you to stay to the trade? But I'd love to know why you think being in showrooms is still important. Well, I think it depends a a lot on the type of fabrics or the type of products that you have. 
what I have on my showroom floors for the most part are samples. They're not something that uh, I readily deliver from the floor because once I deliver something from the floor and it's absent from view from the designers, uh, sure enough, somebody comes in and wants five of them and it's not on the floor. So my whole take on the to the trade business is that we're not there to deliver from the floor. We're not instant gratification. We're there to uh, offer alternative dimensions, alternative finishes, so many different aspects of what makes an interior designer's project unique. And do you find that people, when they come in, because the most designers of design centers, including ADAC, are open to the public. So do you find that people are confused by that if they're not coming with a designer? People say, oh, I want that. And you have to say, no, you can't have it. Well, I hope not. We encourage, uh, we always encourage the public and we encourage our designers to encourage their clients to come to our showroom. We just won't write orders to them. Right. It's our goal and always has been and always will be to deal with professionals. Just because somebody can buy doesn't mean they're going to get a good job. I think that uh, the design career is not as well respected as I would hope. A lot of people just think it's a matter of buying something, but to create an interior that's meaningful requires so many other aspects of creativity and not just the ability to purchase. Right. And and that's been one of my bugaboos is that people think they hire a designer to get access to product. And, you know, my response to that is go to a fabric showroom and good luck because, you know, any good fabric showroom is going to have hundreds, if not thousands of samples there. But Joe, you must get that because your showroom, Harbinger, first of all, it's it's beautiful. It's right on the street. It's very welcoming. So how do you deal with that? Do you think most of the people who walk in, are designers aside, of course, who understand the process, do they understand that? Are they, are they frustrated? It's interesting because in L.A., Harbinger is on the street. So we definitely get a little bit more retail in there. We we don't get a ton of retail. It really just depends on the day. These days, I feel like we'll certainly get people who wander in or have been sent by their designer if they're actually working with somebody. So they come in, we will sell to retail. Obviously, we prefer the trade, but it just depends on what they're there for. We have a lot of things that are sort of ready to go and can be bought off the floor. Right, you have a lot of accessories. We have accessories and art and antiques and vintage and pieces like that. But then it gets a little trickier when they come in and they're like, ooh, I want to do this table. And then you explain, well, this table can be done and, you know, any finish, any Benjamin Moore color you want. And uh, do you want brass or do you want this? And then they start to get a little confused and they'll tend to just sort of order what we have on what they can see what they've what's on the floor well like can i just get the same one here and to david's point it's that it's that tricky thing where you, obviously we always would love if it's something in our reproduction line or one of the repped lines we would love to keep what's on the floor on the floor and take an order but a lot of the times these days we really just need to you know if they need it right then we'll sell it right then and you know we'll get something else mixed in because i think the thing with harbinger is i'm i'm a mix of so many different companies and lines that we can do that and get away with a piece missing whereas you know your show david i think it's so set because it's all of your pieces so it really is that whole story the difference in New York with Harbinger New York is we are in the uh, New York Design Center at 200 Lex. So it's it's a much smaller showroom. We represent a 
much, much smaller amount of pieces and lines and will really get mostly to the trade. Although 200 Lex does have the occasional retail person just sort of wandering in or, or checking things out and snooping around. So, you know, we sort of have both worlds. Now, Katie, I was intrigued to see that right on the ADAC website, it does say fairly prominently open to the public. Absolutely. So, so how do you navigate that? I mean, because I, I do think that social media, maybe you disagree with me, has created this idea that everybody has access to everything. Of course, what they don't have is access to expertise. But how do you navigate that? I know it like many design centers, they will put you in touch with a designer if you're really interested. How does it work at ADAC? Well, it's a couple of things. I mean, you're exactly right that the reason that we opened to the public was because more people had access to design and whether or not that was just internet and eventually social media, especially Instagram coming along. It's when we decided we needed to get more people into the center to see the brands, things they weren't going to see at a retail level and have an interest in, in having those things in their home. But one of the things we explain right off the bat is Even though we're open to the public, that does not mean that the showrooms sell directly to the public. Now, some may, some finished product. We have some linen showrooms or kitchen showrooms that have in-house designers, but the majority of the products sold at ADAC is going to be sold and transacted through the interior designer only. And one way that we explain that to help maybe a general consumer better understand is to say, There's so much product at ADAC that's unfinished, like fabrics, or it's furniture that's very high-end or, you know, just very highly customizable. You could have a chandelier with 20 gold finishes, and you really want the interior designer to help you navigate that process so that you don't make a costly mistake. So that's where an interior designer is your friend to get you through the process. And that seems to click when we're explaining that to a general consumer coming in. And do you have a list of designers that you refer people to? How does that work? So we think that ADAC is unique um, in that, and more design centers are starting to do this, but we have 27 design and architecture offices located on our campus at ADAC. Um, Which is a beautiful campus, so no wonder people (laughs) want to work there. As they come into that center every single day, then they are always going into the showrooms, they're shopping the showrooms, so they know the center best. Well, if a consumer comes in, we can easily refer them to those one of any of those 27 design and architecture offices. We have ASID on campus and IIDA who also have some matching services, which you know we'll refer them to, especially the ASID ones on the website, very easy. And then of course, you know, we can point to different things like social media and websites to get a feel for the designer to see if it's in your right, you know, maybe this is the right aesthetic for you or you like the projects they're doing. Right. And Joe, what about you? Do you have people who come in and see the showroom and then hire you as a designer since you are the designer and you're right, I'm right not all the time, but you're basically right there. It would be it would be amazing if it happened more. It's <laughs> it's actually only happened, I think, maybe once or twice where that has fully come in. But I've certainly helped some people out uh, with little things here and there if I'm there. You know, I'm not always in the showroom. But my design office is in the back in LA as well. So it is helpful if a client or someone retail comes in and is asking my team more information about an antique or, uh, you know, backstory on where I found something. And if I'm around, then I definitely come out and then I get chatting. And I, you know, a lot of the times it's, 
it's me going through my phone and bringing up pictures of a piece that we might have used in one of my projects and being able to show, oh, you know, we did this sofa, we did it in this fabric, and it looks amazing, and they can't picture it. So I show them and then all of a sudden they they get it. So it's it's a little bit more of that. Right. Well, it's been interesting to me that during the pandemic, well, even before the pandemic, but especially during the pandemic, there was this talk that with because of the internet and social media, that to the trade was going to die out, that people didn't want to have to deal with the complex processes, dealing with the people, all of that. And that because there were different sites, you know, including Cherish with all the vintage furniture that it has, and it, it does represent like the lacquer company and stuff, things that are sold at different design shops and in design centers. Um, but, you know, there are brands like Fabricut and Clarence House that have pulled back from any distribution outside of the trade centers. And I do know that, for example, the New York Design Center is fully booked. There's no more space there. And apparently there are many other brands that want to come in the design center. And so, David, I'd love to get a sense from you why you think that's happening. I know, you know, you did that thing with Resto. Why did you do that? And what were the results of it? And why are you still basically to the trade? I'm really glad you asked that because crossing over into retail was uh, quite a quandary at the time we uh, were discussing it. We were approached by Restoration Hardware to do a select group of fabrics to their designs in our materials. And of course, we were flattered. And in the beginning, that's how we started with them, was doing unique fabrics for them. And um, as we decided to go into it, I can't tell you how many people in the design trade, designers came to me and said, oh, thank you, because I buy a lot of restoration hardware, but they don't have the fabrics that I want. So I got more compliments and and more of a collaboration out of restoration hardware than I ever anticipated. I had one designer over the course of our time with Resto who asked me to give them the same price. And I said, well, when you buy hundreds of thousands of yards, we'll give it to you. <laughs> so. Um, and we do private label for a few other companies, much smaller companies. But uh, in every situation, we've had designers come in and say, oh, thank you for offering your fabrics at XYZ because uh, we buy a lot of that for kids' rooms. We buy a lot of that for outdoor areas. We buy a lot of it for uh, areas where the budgets just aren't in the perennials level. And while Restoration Hardware sells very little by the yard, most of what the, we sell to them goes on their right. uh, showroom floors and their catalogs and is sort of uh, graded in with their furniture. They do from time to time sell a little bit, but they don't have enough of our collection. They may have a hundred SKUs, we have a thousand SKUs. So we've uh, we've been very, very successful with that relationship and very proud of it. But he also, and I, I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with you, but also he did sort of when he emphasized you and Anne in the catalogs. I mean, I think he was taking a little bit of your reputation and applying it to Resto, which which is what he should be doing. But I think does bring up this idea of exclusivity: what's available to people and how available should things be. And Katie, I'd love to get your take on this. How? much direct consumer could a brand do before you feel they're not appropriate for a design center anymore? 
Well, I think really more than anything is the pricing because we always have to protect the interior designers. So, you know, we do have some showrooms that we call two tier and that's really, it's all about the pricing. They have a retail price that if you come in and it's obviously the showrooms and salespeople have ways of figuring out if a person is um, working with a designer or if they are a designer and, you know, and whatnot. And so if it's clear that they're not working with a designer and they need to give them retail pricing, they give them that pricing versus the save the discount for the trade only and really protecting the trade. So those showrooms that are at ADAC that sell to the public, whether or not it's because they have um, in-house designers that somebody can work with, or whether or not it's that they have that two-tier pricing, that's our delineation that we say you have to have both. And more than anything, you can never, ever, ever sell to a consumer at that at anything less than that retail price. And they get to make up what that retail price is. I mean, that's mm-hmm. their decision based on their right. company, but it just needs to be the discount needs to be reserved for the trade only. And that really protects all of ADAC and all the rest of the showrooms right. that are there because right. there's trust in the designer knowing I can ADAC and those showrooms are protecting me. I know that a lot of designers now are thinking or starting or are doing billing in a different way. I mean, I had David Netto on the, the podcast and he said, you know, I just do a flat fee, you know, a certain percentage, whatever. He says, because I feel especially his very successful clients don't want to be nickeled and dimed with this was list that was net da, 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 every invoice for every single item whatever and he would prefer to do it that way so do you think Joe I'd love to get to get your sense on this since you're both a designer and a showroom person do you think that net list it's tricky pricing thing is the wave of the future or do you think it's going to it can last or is it on its way out I think I would love it to last because I do think it protects the designer for sure. It does always get a little tricky. We definitely have some designers like David. I I know that he's come in and and he has occasionally some of his clients will buy direct. He'll, he'll pick everything out and they'll go, okay, they're going to send a check. And there are other designers who do that as well. And sometimes it just depends on the project. Sometimes it depends on the piece. I do that to some of my design clients, depending on what it is, if it's, you know, if I'm buying four or five rugs from a big rug dealer or something, and it's that becomes a huge high ticket thing, then I'll just say, pay them direct, we'll charge the markup separately, or just our hourly for for something, it, it always depends. But I would love the the trade pricing to stay. If we can, it's trickier for Harbinger, again, because we have you know, a number of vendors that we represent that are very specifically to the trade and they have only their net pricing and they don't even have a retail pricing. Some of our fabric lines, when we're like, okay, well, what's your retail price so that we can give it to people if they if they come in off the street and they're like, we don't even have one. So, you know, sometimes it's just a, a figuring out what the margin is and we multiply it by a number and then we we sort of get that retail price. It's trickier for the showrooms, I think, because you start taking discounts away. And then that affects our commissions because we're there to make some money too. And so we have set commissions with the lines that we represent. You start giving discounts to certain people who aren't supposed to get them. Then all of a sudden the vendor might come back. Okay. Well, can you go down on your commission on that? And then it's a whole, a whole nother thing. So it is tricky. It's very tricky. And for, as a designer, you know, sometimes you'll go into certain retail stores that are definitely to the trade, but very much more retail based. 
and we might only get 10% off where, you know, you go to Harbinger and it's 20% off uh, the trade price and other places are 30. And that's where the clients are always like, well, why is it only 10% off there? So does your markup go down? <laughs> it's the crazy, I mean, how everybody does their pricing is, has always been the bane of the existence of the interior design world, as we know. Well, I guess it comes back again to this idea of how does the design industry sell its expertise? Because being a designer, as we were saying, is not being a personal shopper. It's there's so many hundreds of decisions to make. And, you know, I would say it's also a fact, a matter of engineering, you know, making sure everything gets delivered at the same time and not in drips and drabs. And they can do the, I mean, there's so it's such a complex thing being a designer. And yet I don't think that the industry has made it a great had a great success in, in conveying that to the public. And I, I, I'd love to get a sense, Katie, from you, how do you think that a, a design center can help with that? I mean, do you, I know you do marketing and you do social media. Now, a designer said to me recently what they wish design centers would do was help them more with marketing and social media. So how does ADAC approach that? Well, I think that's one of the things that we think is very unique that we have such an investment in our marketing team. And we have so many stories that we constantly need to tell whenever we're out in the public, whether or not it's any kind of media I'm doing or an event that we're doing or social media. But one of the most important stories that we're constantly telling is the value of hiring an interior designer. And we feel like that is an important thing that as the management office is that we're out there telling that story. Um, and we want people to come into ADAC, see the product, maybe get a little overwhelmed, realize, <laughs> wait, this is a lot to navigate. I mean, ADAC is five floors in one building alone, and it's 550,000 square feet of product. So it's very overwhelming, and we want them to get overwhelmed. And But also at the same time to see what's out there, what's in the design center to decorate their home, because there's so much they won't see at the retail level. So it is a bit of an epiphany when they come in and maybe they've worked with an interior designer before and they realize, okay, now I understand what they're doing. But yes, that is one of the stories that we are constantly telling in any way that we possibly can is the value of hiring an interior designer. Right. And you also, in terms of getting the public in to understand, I know you have special design days, you have lectures, you do social media, correct? Correct. Yeah. So we are going to do, I mean, prior to, to COVID, we were at about 150 events throughout the year, but also in our 10 state region. So we're the largest design center in the Southeast, and we bring designers in from all the major cities, Nashville and Charleston and Charlotte, um, you know, that surround ADAC. So it's not just Atlanta. And we found that events is, is that really easy way to bring in both the client and the designer. The designer is going to come in for, we have everything from market days, two markets a year, but we also have educational days um, that are specifically for, for the designer. But then we also have just any event that's open to the public and free to attend that's going to try to inspire somebody who's coming in for the first time, maybe in a way that they feel more comfortable. Maybe they're a little intimidated just to walk into ADAC. But if they come to an event that's hosted by a, a brand, a showroom at ADAC, and maybe a magazine partner, that makes it really easy for them to sit in that audience and start to learn a bit more and maybe get a little more comfortable with the design center and then take that next step as well. 
Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you're enjoying our podcast. My name is Anna Brockway, and I'm the co-founder and president of Cherish. If you're a designer who's struggling with long lead times from suppliers and increasingly impatient clients, now is the time to shop with us. Our vintage antique and one-of-a-kind inventory is ready to ship right now. To learn more, visit Cherish.com. That's C-H-A-I-R-I-S-H.com. And now back to the show. And Joe, you're a great host. I mean, you're obviously <laughs> often have, you know, besides LCDQ, which is like one big frat party one for the design party. industry, you know, you have book signings and all kinds of events. Do you think that that really helps get the word out that people, because there is something very inspiring about seeing beautiful product, you know, in this term of fabrics touching them. Yeah, it's just nice to get people into the showroom too, especially after the last two years that we've been through. I think that events are even more important now. And even if it just ends up being the design trade that comes to these events, it's still a great way to get people back in to see new product, to see things in person, to see how the showrooms have mixed things up. How do you decide where you're going to open a showroom? What do you want from the design centers that you work with? What what are you looking for to further awareness and appreciation of Sutherland furniture and perennials? That's a great question. I will tell you that um, our uh, focus for currently and for the future is to uh, add additional outside salespeople to go to the designers to make sure that they have our materials and to know that we're, you know, we're there to support them. The major markets are really the only places you'll find the design centers. Uh, there are some smaller ones uh, from time to time you hear about, but there are new markets. The demographics of the country are changing. Yeah, and there's um, talented designers I, all across the country. Yes, they are. And I would never have believed that, you know, that Charlotte or Nashville or Naples or some of these, uh, what we used to call tertiary markets would become so important. Yeah, first but, class uh, talent in a tertiary market. It's a kind of amazing. I learned that when I went to Deering Hall originally, how much talent there is in the country. Exactly. But, you know, it's interesting because a lot of designers, I have several friends in Chicago, for instance, that are opening in Naples. So, you know, people are, are kind of going after the business, and which I think is very smart. It's quite interesting to see it's not just the end users, but the designers as well who are relocating. Maybe it's for tax reasons. Maybe it's for whatever. But some of those uh, southern cities are becoming real marketplaces. They're, they're not something you can ignore anymore. We did a uh, Cherish podcast episode about where people are moving. And, you know, Naples, I think, is the number one housing market at the moment, the most fastest growing. Right, and our new showroom will open there in about two weeks. Great. Congratulations. (laughs) Very smart (laughs) move. Thank you. Thank you. Well, it's sort of that thing where, you know, you always have to remind the end consumer that designers will travel anywhere. You know, back, I feel like back in the old days, it was, okay, you were a New York designer. You only did New York projects unless you were a higher echelon of of budget where that client would then, you know, fly you out to wherever they were doing their next project. But these days, I think a lot of people are like, oh, I've got to get somebody local, but I, we'll, we'll go anywhere and do projects all over the place. And, and things, things change as far as how we price that maybe. I mean, I could care less where a project is. It's the same thing. And especially the fact that you can do so much over the internet now. And, you know, we've had Zoom meetings. It's not the same, of course, but it's great for that initial thing, initial meeting, if we need to be able to show the general idea, if you can't get the client out in person and then 
you know, you do that next meeting in person. So it's much easier to right. be everywhere. And and I know, like on your website, you have beautiful projects, not only in the East Coast, but in Montana, very, you know, around the country. And I think that that is sort of true. And which I guess, David, brings up that reinforces a point that you made about reaching out to designers directly, making sure that they have your sample books, make sure they they understand how you work and whatever. But do you think, and Katie, I'll ask you this, do you think that that will then undermine the importance of a design center? To me, I actually do not, because I think one of the most important things, like I said, we have a 10-state region. So those cities, like David was saying, Nashville and Charlotte, um, that have such talented designers that are also growing. There's so many people that are moving to those cities um, and wanting interior designer. And so we are going out into those cities to connect with them, but we're taking the sales reps and then we may do an event in Nashville so that we're making sure that the designer is not only having to come to ADAC to be a part of our community, but we're going to be a part of their community in their city. And we found that we've made such uh, huge and very important relationships. And that started before COVID. And then Ultimately, what may end up happening is that they may come over to ADAC to see uh, more of the products because they could only see so mm-hmm. much with a sales right. rep. So maybe they need to sit in that chair or whatever, you know, maybe they've got a huge project and they need to spend about two days at ADAC. We know they're going to do that while they're still working with their sales reps um, in, in the individual right. city. We've had clients who were so busy, they just, if we didn't call on them, we probably wouldn't get any of their business because many designers have said to me that they don't really have time to go to a showroom. They're that busy. And um, I think that's been part of what, what we've seen over the last year and a half is that, is that in many cases, good designers are swamped. And, and it's human nature. If it's not in front of your face, you tend to forget. You know, it's like, oh, I, you know, and then you see it and I say, oh, I haven't ordered from X brand in six months, I should check and see, you know, that would be good right. for this project because it's, it's it's almost like hiring somebody. You know, you always hire somebody who just happens to send their resume at that moment. So you happen to have presented as, you know, new products to a designer and they think about it. I mean. Well, and when you think about it, when a designer comes to the showroom, they're not there to tell you about their projects. But if you're an outside salesman and your eyes are open, you walk into a design firm you can see a lot of the stuff they're working with. It's not that you're there sort of uh, spying on them, but you certainly have an opportunity to talk about other projects. And, uh, you know, that's just a given. I mean, that's uh, that's the value of an outside salesperson is not that they they just sell one thing, but that they can bring other things to the designers that uh, that perhaps the designer wasn't looking for at that time. Right. And Joe, I think you do that. I mean, one of the things I love about your showroom is that you have a lot of smaller almost artisanal brand, like Ida Rico, who I, I just love to say her name, but yes, I mean, I she does amazing fabrics. And, you know, I've actually went to her showroom, her Isn't little shop in, in Milan, and she has beautiful things. And I think you do that a lot is bringing smaller makers to people's attention. And do you feel that they tend to get lost in the shuffle more when there's mm-hmm. like with the bigger as compared to the big design centers like they the York do. Design Center or yeah, the D&D it, or it depends on the line and it's very expensive and I think I get those smaller lines because of the way that Harbinger is set up and that it's a much more eclectic showroom so they can mix in well but occasionally you know I'll get I'll get smaller textile lines wanting to join the group and then 
that line has to be really, really special for me to say yes, because I want to be honest to them. If it's something that's going to blend in too much with all of the other lines that I have, it's not going to be seen. People aren't going to get it. And so I yeah. say to them, I'm like, look, why do you I, need it? I, I love that your line is small, but it's just, I'm not going to waste your time. If you can be at a showroom where it's going to stand out more then I want you to do that because I don't want to say, yes, you're going to do great here. And then all of a sudden it blends in. So, I mean, we've mixed up the way that we show our fabrics because of that very reason where some of the lines that should have been doing gangbusters weren't. And it was because they weren't, you know, you couldn't see the patterns well enough, but we do have a lot of mix of those. We've got some great furniture makers and accessory makers from upstate New York and all over the place that mix in with the rest of the lines. And that just depends on, they're going to sell well when it's like installation time and the designers coming through memoing just a bunch of pieces to bring to that installation when it's finally time to move in. And that's when like our ceramics move well and the lamps and the side tables and the vintage pieces. Sometimes I'll see them sitting there for a month or two going, oh, I wish those would sell. And then one day, you know, one designer comes in and takes 70% of the showroom out and 50% <laughs> of it stays, which is a great day. But all of a sudden then I'm like, oh God, I got to go shopping. <laughs> Right, uh, right, exactly. So. You got to come up with new stuff. And Katie, how does ADAC deal with keeping things fresh? Because you have a lot of well-known brands there, important brands, create, not to say that they're not creative and beautiful, but you know, you don't want to have a designer come every three months and everything is sort of the same. So do you encourage the brands that you represent that have real estate there to keep things fresh? How do you, how does that work? Oh, absolutely. Well, and I was just thinking it's, it's, it really is so important to every design community, design center to have showrooms like David's and like Joe's because you want to have a harbinger that's going to bring in um, all of these um, maybe smaller companies or artisans or smaller makers that they're not going to ever take their own showroom. They, you know, in a design center, you're right, it's it's not, you know, cheap. And so uh, if we know that we have an independent showroom um, like a harbinger coming in and they're going to represent all of those lines, that keeps um, more and more um, interesting, unique brands coming through. But then you also want to have an equal mix of your, um, of your you know, brand showrooms that take, you know, have showrooms at every design center, you know, like David does. And, um, and having an, a good mix of both of those is very important to our design community. But then, of course, on top of that, um, like you were saying, you want to make sure that those showrooms are constantly updating their showroom display, changing over product. Um, I, we have a couple in, in, at ADAC that do it really, really well. They change over their product often. Um, they might have you know music that plays. Um, they might send out a Spotify, um, you know, listening, you know, monthly listening um, playlist. They might have a scent, you know, special scent. They're going to do every single thing that they can to make themselves exclusive. And so the other showrooms see that and might, you know, take a little bit of information from that one and use that. And and so they they stay unique in their own um, identity. But um, there's that um, wanting to create that experience within the showroom. Um, if others around them are doing that, then they realize that they need to do it, too. So it, it really keeps things fresh at ADAC. Right. Well, I think shopping in general, retail and or, you know, to the trade changed so much in the last 10 years, really way before the pandemic. But that's, I think, accelerated it. But I'd love to get a sense from each of you. And we'll, we'll start with you, David. Um, you know, we've had two boom years in the design industry. You know, people were stuck at home. They 
spent on getting houses in shape, making their homes better. I mean, if they had to wait 18 months, 22 months for some things, it was like they were into it. Now people are up and about more, traveling more. How do you see the to the trade business proceeding in the year ahead? Do you think there's going to be a slowdown? Do you think business is going to continue the way it is? Do you think there's going to be a change and people are going to do more things online? How, what do you see happening? I definitely see a, a, a slowdown. I don't think it's going to continue at the pace that it did during the pandemic. There's no question about it. Um, ourselves, we have a lot of containers that are still in transit. We have a backlog that will probably carry us into the middle of next year. Uh, but that creates delays for, for people on their projects. And anyone who says if they buy anything uh, uh, in other parts of the world that the supply chain is, is repaired, they're, they're, they're not, very, uh, not very active. Um, so I think that, uh, uh, I think that things are going to slow down, uh, quite a bit. Um, I, from my perspective, if I may, Katie, I, I apologize here if this isn't, uh, uh, correct, but, um, you know, the, the, uh, design centers are in the real estate business. The showrooms are in the showroom business. They're dealing with the designers on a day-to-day basis. And not necessarily in Atlanta, but certainly in other parts of the country, uh, the costs of being in a design center have uh, escalated to the point where um, atelier lines uh, uh, that are represented, uh, you know, like Joe has, a lot of them are not going to find a venue uh, if the space is too expensive because, uh, by and large, commission rates haven't grown. Uh, The only way... uh, the only way a showroom can increase their revenues is to increase their sales. There is no greater portion of the the uh, cost of the product that goes into the into the uh, to the rep's uh, pocket. And I contend that unless a showroom has uh, access to their own products, as Joe does, it's very very hard in this day and age to uh, to uh, offset the expenses and to make a profit if you don't have something in there that. Uh, that you manufacture yourself, that you, uh, uh, you know, no longer is a commission enough to be in a in a very valuable showroom space. It's just too expensive. Well, as one of uh, our, our original founder, one of the things that he used to say to us, and I um, not only worked with him at ADAC, um, but I also worked at our sister property for 13 years prior to that and sort of grew up with the family um, that eventually was acquired by IMC. But the one thing that he used to say to us every single day was, we are not just a landlord. We are a marketing company. We are a marketing center. And so you're right. We have to bring value to you. For It's the only reason that you would continue to stay at a design center and be able to pay the rent. I mean, obviously, the critical mass and being with a, the easy one-stop shop is important. But at the same time, we still have to bring you value. And so that's why we have a team of seven in our marketing um, department. And, and even some of the small design centers around the country really work hard at that marketing um, component of it because they realize that's the only reason that we're going to be able to keep these showrooms in business if we're promoting your product, um, if we're promoting the value of hiring an interior designer. Again, so many stories we're constantly telling. And then that way that 
that designer has the projects. They're going to come to the design center and buy. And ultimately, yes, you are able to to continue paying the rent because we're all in it to, you know, to, you know, for revenue and, and to make a profit here. But we, we all have to bring the value at the same time. Otherwise, it, it won't work. And it does seem like all the design centers are basically at capacity. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so many of them are. Yeah. It seems like people are getting their money worth, but I, I think that you raised such an interesting point, David. How much longer can that this continue? Where you know, it, it's in New York City, people can't afford to rent anymore, even apartments. I mean, the the price I've, of real I've estate. I've always is, heard that an increasing uh, share of a declining market is still death. So you know, it's it feels good to be taking market share, uh, and and we've been doing that during these times. But uh, but, you know, that's there. There has to be, it would seem, an end to that at some point. Yeah. And Joe, what do you think about this? And how do you see your business in two years in terms of the showroom? Not. Yeah, I know you're going to only get richer and more fabulous clients for your design work. But I don't know about (laughs) that. But I here's hoping uh, I'll crack some champagne if that happens. But um, I do think it's I agree with David. I do. I think it's going to slow down a bit. We're we're starting to see that we had a slower july and got a little bit worried and then all of a sudden august bumped back up and i had to remind myself okay it's summer everybody's gone the clients are gone so then the designers are slow and the designers go on vacation too and i think it's coming back obviously as i said before there is a certain level of of clientele and the designers who work with uh really big budgets where that does not seem to be slowing down uh because they can keep spending but you start to see that the slowdown in you know the smaller uh, amounts uh, of things. So, and I think it's also the supply chain will affect it. I mean, I, I David, I wonder. I can only imagine if you're in the same position of just getting the yarns for the outdoor fabrics, like umbrellas, having a lot of issues where some of our uh, outdoor lines that carry that is they're having a hard time getting the product in there, so it just delays it. So it's then finding ways to get around that to make sure that things are in stock. So, you know, I just went and did another big buying trip in Europe a month and a half ago. And hopefully the things will actually not take four years to get to me. But if, you know, if things are slower to make the products that are the newer pieces, then at least I'll have some vintage uh, mixed in to be able to fill the space in the showroom and, and work off the floor. I guess what I take from our conversation is that the idea of what a design center is for some people has changed, but that there will always be design centers and to the trade showrooms, because I think there will always be that clientele who wants custom, who wants the best. Uh, But I think that maybe to expand that market, the marketing that the design centers do is kind of crucial and all the events and lectures and panels and book signings are probably even more important than they ever were. And it's something that the small brands that like Joe represents or some of the showrooms at at ADEC, they're not going to have that without the sort of centrical, centrifugal force of uh, a design center. So I guess you would all agree that design centers are here to stay? For sure. Yeah. And I think it's the reminder of people still want to see things in person and they want to touch and feel and they want to sit on a sofa and uh, see what it looks like in a room. And, you know, you need to be able to see a carpet 
an antique carpet in person and uh, touch the fabrics and stuff. So getting people in to see something is is crucial. And you can you can only bring so many things to a designer's office too, but the, eventually they're going to have to show the client in the long run. And I think people want to know what their options are. Do you know yeah. that there are things out there in those showrooms that I could never have imagined, you know, things that are so beautiful. I'm not, you know, I'm not a designer. I, but I think if people get exposed to that and it excites them, and I think that's one reason that showrooms are here to stay because just like, you know, a great showroom is like going to Bergdorf, you know, it's like you just, it lifts you up and it just shows you how much creativity there is out there in the world. And, you know, you guys make it and find it. And that's, I think, very, very inspiring to the design world. So I guess it's safe to say to the trade, it's going to evolve, continue to evolve, but it's still, it's here to stay, right? Here to stay. Here to stay. No question about it. Great. Well, I want to thank my wonderful guests, Joe Lucas, Katie Miner of ADAC, and David Sutherland for being here and talking about a really important subject. And I want to thank everyone for listening to the Cherish podcast. You've been listening to the Cherish podcast brought to you, of course, by Cherish, which was recently voted by the readers of USA Today as the best place to shop online for furniture and home decor. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend or colleague. Or better yet, go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. We appreciate your help in spreading the word. And we would love your ideas for future episodes. Please email us at podcast at cherish.com. The Cherish Podcast is produced by Britta Muller and engineered by Hanger Studios in New York. Until next time.